The title of my message today is Extravagant Breakthrough. Um, So I want you to go with me to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2. Somebody let out a woo. Judges, yeah. Uh, Well, we moved on from Deuteronomy, right? So um, here we are in Judges, Judges chapter 2. And I want to share with you a few verses. Um, I want to give you, remember what we say all the time on a regular basis, that context deepens my understanding of the content. What, I, what happens around it helps inform how I should think about it. So think about this, Judges chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. So he lived a long life. Verse 10 says this, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That's another way to say they're all dead now. (laughs) And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Quite possibly, this is one of the saddest places that I found in scripture. Because the Lord has done incredible things He's delivered them from Egyptian slavery. He's brought them through the wilderness. He's, bring, he's brought them into the promised land. Joshua has fought battles and won. They've gone through Jericho. They're settling in the promised land that God determined to give to them. And now he is dying. And the generation that's with him is dying and passing away. And it says, and there arose another generation who did not know the Lord. My thought is this, or my challenge is, this question, why didn't they? Why didn't they know the Lord or the work that he had done? It was the people who were dying, it was their fault. Because they had not passed on the truth that God had done incredible things. And so when we have that truth buried deep inside of our heart, and it's the foundation from which we start believing that God is a deliverer, then we'll believe that he can deliver the next time we face a hardship. So now these people are kind of lost, and I I would use the term sheep without a shepherd in this moment because they're kind of like scattering around and they don't know how to move forward and they don't even know the God that they've been called to serve or the work that he has done before. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges. For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Verse 18 says, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. I want you to stop there for a second and listen to me. When you read the book of Judges, if you do that, I I challenge you and encourage you to do so, you'll start to understand that these were not guys in black robes sitting with a gavel going, 
you're guilty, you're not guilty. It wasn't that kind of thing. This was a mode that God used or a a form that God used to actually lead and guide the clans and the tribes and the people of Israel. So they would make decisions and they would have to make judicial decisions and make sure that everything was, you know, at peace and that sort of thing. But the word of the Lord tells us that the spirit of God was with the judge and that the judge was paying attention to what God wanted, but then sharing it with others and it seems to be that they were not listening and they were not paying attention. Verse 19 tells us something sad. Whenever the judge died, whatever the current judge was, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. Verse 23 says, So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. So I want you to understand, if we believe that Scripture is true, and in Hebrews it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is God, then we have to understand part of God's actions determine what we understand about his character. So when we get to the place where, oh, pity poor me, I can't believe I'm going through this, we really ought to look at places like this and understand that sometimes we are the determining factor for the problem we are facing. It might not be God's fault, but it might be God's solution to try to get you to turn and look towards him. So with that context, we go to Judges chapter 6. You say, Pastor, you're about to read the whole book? You may be. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Because they were choosing to disobey, not follow what their fathers had done, not obey the Lord. God says, I'm going to allow them to suffer for a time. Notice there, it had a time limit. So, Verse 3 tells us, For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them, that being the people of Israel. So essentially, they're in the promised land. There are still enemies that are in the promised land that have not been routed or sent out of it or defeated. Joshua wasn't able to accomplish that by the time that he was 110 and died. And now they are still at war with people around them. They've planted crops, but whenever they planted crops, their enemies would come in and pillage their land. They'd eat all of it. They'd cart it away. They'd light it on fire. They terrorized the people of Israel. And the Bible says that God allowed this to happen for a period of seven years. Verse 6, and Israel was brought very low. They were humiliated because of Midian. This is a geographical place and a people. It says, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Jump with me to verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth 
tree. That's a type of tree. At a place called, not Oprah, okay? Ophrah, okay? <laughs> Which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So the story is developing now because you might understand what happened with Gideon in the Bible and you think about that story, but here's the deal. Gideon is most likely under cover of darkness going to a wine press that would have been a place that had these big areas where they stomped on the grapes and had that to go into funnels and systems to be able to make wine. And he is not in a wheat threshing floor which would be a different style of building, what they'd do is they'd take a bundle of wheat and they would begin to beat it against a structure and all of the wheat kernels would fall into baskets and the rest of it would be driven away by the wind. They always set them up on hilltops so that when they did that, strong wind was blowing and all the garbage would fly, but they'd keep all of the good stuff. So in order to get food, he's under cover of night, most likely, in the wrong place, but at the right time, and he's doing what he knows to do, which is the the right thing to try to feed himself and his family. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. (laughs) I just love this because I can imagine Gideon being like, (laughs) like maybe you don't understand why I'm here, what I'm doing, but like, let's tone it down just a little bit. Um, O mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. Gideon up until this point has not been a mighty man of valor necessarily. And in fact, in several places in the story of Gideon, you will hear talk, whether he admits it or whether the author tells us about it, of him being guilty of giving in to fear. In fact, God even gives him a way to deal with one of his fears. He says, essentially, if you're too scared, take your buddy with you because I need you to do this though. So go get to it. So the angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. In the next few verses there, essentially what he is instructed to do by the angel of the Lord is that he is to go and to tear down the altar to the false god, which is known as Baal in scripture, and he is to build an an altar and offer a sacrifice to the Lord and worship on the remnant of the altar he just tore down. So he uses the wood from that other idol and that altar to offer a sacrifice to God. Well, he does that. He is afraid, so he doesn't do it in daytime, and the angel of the Lord didn't tell him, you have to do it during the daytime. So it says he did it in cover of darkness. Well, when the people of the city woke up the next day, when the men woke up the next day, they realized, wait a second, where, where's our altar? Where's our structure? Where's the, the thing that we worship? Where is it? And they see smoke still rising from a sacrifice of a different altar. And this ticks them off and it starts a war. Well, Gideon was simply obeying the instruction of the Lord, but now it has caused a war. But his war was going to lead to a mighty breakthrough. And I I want you to be thinking today with your spiritual heart and with your ears today, 
Because I really truly believe that sometimes the war that we are in may feel like we are hopeless, like we are guilty of having fear of all of those things. But there is a very good chance, if I'm reading this correctly, that God is using this war to lead to a place of breakthrough. So... Don't be discouraged in the midst of the trouble that you face. And I know that's easier said than done, but take it from a guy who has been discouraged a time or two before. And I will tell you, when the angel of the Lord comes to you and says, God is with you, then you ought to know God is with you. Amen. So this is the background to the story that you probably have heard about Gideon and his 300 men. So I'm going to finish through the story and I'm going to give you three ingredients that I think will be helpful to you in the idea of having an extravagant breakthrough like Gideon did. So 32,000, everybody say 32,000. 32,000 Israelites joined with Gideon to go against the Midianites in order to do battle. But God whittles down that number to a mere 300 men to go to war with against all of these enemies that have, they've all been ticked off. They've all, I'm going to say called their buddies. I know they didn't have telecommunications, but they went and they sent messages and all these groups of people are now like, we're going to get them. We're going to get them. And now Gideon's like, Oh, look, there's 32,000 people with us. Yes. And God says, that's too many. Ah, what? (laughs) Are you serious? So then he whittles them down, whittles them down, whittles So he's got them down to 300 and Gideon has got to trust God to go to war with thousands of people with only having 300 on his side. (laughs) Judges chapter seven, it says this, that same night, the Lord said to him, arise and go down against the camp, the enemy's camp that is over there for I have given it into your hand. And if, if, If Gideon was like me, I'd be wondering, "Mm, so like, how exactly is this going to work? Because like, I'm walking down to my death or... So then the next place we read is verse 11. The angel is speaking to... Well, it says the Lord is speaking to Gideon. You shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Verse 13 continues. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, to his friend. And he said this, behold, I dreamed a dream and a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. In other words, not just destruction, but utter destruction. Because if there are people inside the tent, they're gone. Verse 14, it says, And his comrade answered him, and Gideon is in the bushes listening to this conversation. And his friend tells him, There's no other than the sword of Gideon. This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And then my parentheses would be, he probably told his buddy, pack your stuff, let's go. (laughs) Uh, Because he didn't want to be around for that. There, this is incredible because it says, through the mouth of the enemy, 
God had divinely inspired this dream in a random person for Gideon to show up at the right time in the right place to hear and to listen, to have his heart. It says to have your hand strengthened, but really what that's getting at is to have your heart emboldened, like to just have a surge of, I got this, I can do this. And he needed that. So it says in verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. This is really important. Because he had confidence in that moment that God was with him. He had already been talking to an angel of the Lord in one passage. And now it says the Lord in this passage. And now he's heard the, the confident expectation of what's going to happen. And he decides now's a good time to sing a song and to worship God. He worshiped. It says, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise. For the Lord has given the host all of Midian into your hand. If you know me, you know I love to cook. How many of you know I love to cook? Um, but I will be honest and tell you, I'm more of a dash here and a dash there kind of guy, not necessarily a recipe follower. Um, and my wife is on the opposite spectrum, okay? If the recipe, if there's not a recipe, it's challenging, right? Okay, and there have been many phone calls in our in our married life. Honey, I don't know what to do. I don't have so and so, and the recipe calls for that. What do I? What should I? So she is definitely a recipe follower and an amazing baker. Okay, but I'm more of a dash here and a dash there. But I understand the the importance of a recipe. Some of you today will eat good at lunch because of someone's perfected recipe. They've done a good job at putting it together. And you know, I was thinking about that because recipes help. When you follow them exactly, you usually get the same result and you can expect something delicious and amazing. And I, I was thinking through that this week as I developed this message and I thought, you know, there's a recipe to follow in Gideon's life to experience breakthrough. And I want to share with you what I see as three key ingredients for this recipe. And if you follow this recipe, I believe not only is breakthrough possible, but it's guaranteed to the believer, even in areas of your life where you are the problem. Breakthrough is possible. It's possible when we worship God. We can experience extravagant breakthrough. So this recipe has three ingredients. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Obedience. Amen. Obedience is a key ingredient for breakthrough. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I, I was thinking through this with Gideon's life and his circumstances. He had several opportunities to disobey or to disengage and to pull back. Yet he continued to walk and to do what he was supposed to do and asked to do. It had been a long time since Someone in the camp of the Israelites had obeyed God. There had been a lot of people who had disobeyed. We just read about that after Joshua's death and how they didn't follow the Lord. And now Gideon is going hard after God and saying, yes, I'm going to do this. Gideon dealt with fear, but he still obeyed. Our relationship with God is founded on his love for us. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. But I have to tell you something to balance this out. The health of your relationship 
with God is founded on your obedience to him. Uh, Only two or three of you got that. The more amens I get, the quicker we go. So let me say this again, because I worked really hard on it, okay? God's love, just look at me and listen. God's love is the foundation of our relationship. He chose you. You weren't the prettiest. You weren't the greatest. You weren't the best. But he chose to love you. That's what the scripture says about Israel. And we are part of that because we've been grafted in. He didn't choose you for any of your great qualities, although you have some. So our relationship with him is founded on his love for us. But the health of our relationship is founded and based on my obedience to him. So people have had this question before of, you know, is it works? Is it faith? Is it only faith? Is it no works? Here's the deal. Your faith should make you work. (laughs) Your faith in God should make you want to serve and to obey and to do what he's calling you to do. So the health of my relationship with God, it truly is founded on our obedience to him. And if you doubt that, I encourage you to talk to a parent who has a kid. Their relationship has not changed if they have a disobedient kid. But I'm telling you, the health of the relationship could be so much better if there was obedience. Shoo! Somebody, somebody in, the, in the crowd is preaching today. In an effort to foster discipline for my own kids, I ask my daughters this question all the time. Specifically one of them who sometimes is a little bit scattered. And when she, and when she comes to me, that's okay. If she ever listens to these messages, she, she won't know. Okay. Well, her sister will tell her this is about you. Okay. But the, I, the idea that I want to share with you is this in order to foster discipline and help her understand follow through. If I've asked her and she could literally be walking through the house with the item that she has to go put away somewhere and then go drop it and just go somewhere else kind of thing. And we're guilty of that. I do the same thing. So I will say these words though to her that I think are really helpful for us to think about. Sweetheart, did you do what daddy asked you to do? And I'll just, oh no, I, I'm sorry, daddy. I left my shoes in the, I did the, I, I started to, and then I, and then I just patiently say, well, sweetheart, can you please go do that? And then we can do the other thing. But daddy, you said you'd play a game with, I will play a game with you, but I want you to go finish your obedience. I'm not a perfect parent, but God sure is. And that's how he acts. I'm preaching better than my wife is shouting. Okay, so, but I lovingly tell them, finish the task, right? Because our obedience is a key to our breakthrough. Let me tell you another ingredient for breakthrough. It's worship. Worship is a key ingredient for breakthrough. Look at what chapter 7, in Judges chapter 7, verse 15, it'll be on the screen for you. It says this, and as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Now, I don't know if this was a whisper worship, because like he's at the edge of the enemy's camp. you got to think about these things, right? Okay, He's just overheard a dream, so he's within earshot. I don't know that he's like, hallelujah, Jesus. You know, like I don't think it was that, but he was worshipping. 
He chose to worship. And I think worship is a key ingredient for breakthrough. I think sometimes we as believers want to worship really well after the breakthrough has happened. And we're kind of just holding our peace and waiting until it comes. But in, there's evidence in scripture in the different lives and testimonies that are all throughout scripture that show that worship was a key ingredient before the breakthrough happened. So we got to get it in right, uh, right sequence. We've got to understand it. So the altar that he had built earlier in the story was a place of worship to God. I told you what he did with their altar. He broke it down and used that wood to then build an altar to God. He tore down the false God's altar and put in its place an altar to the only true and living God. So the question that kind of arised in my heart to share with you today, is there an altar in an area of your life that you need to tear down and re-enthrone, which is not a word, but re-establish and put God back on the throne in that area of your life? Because the battle rages daily. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know this. You know that the temptations that we face are fierce at times. You know that the opposition is unrelenting. There are enemies that are people who are good-hearted, but maybe they're even human enemies. But there's a spiritual enemy that's trying to thwart what God wants to do. And God's trying to get you to a place of breakthrough, but you're giving into fear and you're giving into all these other things. And maybe, possibly, you've even done what the Israelites did and you've turned and you've started following something else. Or maybe you're like my youngest who might have just forgotten what she needed to be doing and started going this way. Regardless, whatever the excuse is, if you've got something else sitting high in priority in your life and it's not God, you're going to have problems. So we need to evaluate our lives and reestablish God as the rightful ruler over every area, our mind, our body, our relationships, all of those areas. Worship helps us accomplish that because when we're exalting him and lifting him up and looking towards him, then things start to shift and move into right alignment because I can't worship authentically and have a ton of sin in my heart because the moment that I touch his presence, I come into his presence, I should immediately be at that place where I say, whoa, God, I know that you're not pleased with that. I sh- Shouldn't have said that, done that, been there, whatever it is. So you've got to have that same understanding that worship is a key ingredient to breakthrough. And it happens before breakthrough. But worship after a breakthrough is so good, y'all. Oh, man, I hope you experience it at some point. Maybe even today in this service, you'll experience it. Because worship after the fact is so good. Because when we experience breakthrough, we know that it's not us a part of the battle that Gideon faced, part of the strategy, and you, you can read the story later, but essentially he takes his 300 men and they go in. It's under cover of night again. They're doing this. They surround the camp and they've got torches inside of jars and all at the count of three kind of thing. They break the jars and blow a horn in one hand and they've got the torch in the other. And it says that the entire army, the enemy army, fled and there was chaos in the camp. 
And God had authorized that chaos. So we need to understand that when there is chaos around us, that so often it is not God, it is our own doing or the enemy's doing that has brought that chaos, but God wants to bring things into order. And the way we practice putting things in order, I saw it this morning. I stopped in one of the kids' rooms. I saw Keegan and Isaac and little Beth, and they were in there playing. And I won't tell you who was doing what, but um, one... (laughs) But but one was taking blocks away from another one and putting them away, kind of sorting through them and organizing. I almost said he 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 was or <laughs> he was organizing and putting putting things in order because it's important to him. Guess what? That's important to God. Stop living a sloppy life, college. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> order, okay, order. God wants to put your life. In order. The the places that are out of order, he wants to order. And the way he can do that best is when you've opened yourself up to him like this in a posture of worship. Saying, God, I'm, I'm here for you. Whatever it is, you can come and do it in me. Remembrance is the third ingredient in this recipe for breakthrough. How many of you say you've got a great memory? Just raise your hand. Let me see. Okay, a couple of you. Who was your third grade teacher? Okay, is that correct, Mom? You, okay, see, that is, that's a great memory. How many of you say, I do not have a good memory at all? It's really bad. Okay, good. You're in good company. Me too. Praise God. Remembrance is a key ingredient for breakthrough. Look at what Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says. We read it earlier, but just for emphasis, I want you to hear it again. It says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And then chapter 8 verse 33 tells us this. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals, the false gods, and made Baal Barith their god. Verse 34, it says, And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all. Everybody say all. All their enemies on every side. We can't forget what happened when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan. Joshua chapter 22 tells us that there was something miraculous that happened. That God not only split the sea so they could walk right through it for them to leave Egypt, but now they've gone down the peninsula and over and they're coming up on the other side of the Jordan River and they're about to cross into the northern part, central northern part of Israel that we know today. And God says, I've got to bring these hundreds of thousands, if not more than a million people through this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to stop the water again, and they're going to walk straight through on dry ground. So then the people, the, the high priest, picked up stones, dry stones, from the middle of the riverbank, the, the middle of the riverbed, I should say, rather. And they took them over to the other side of the Jordan, and they set up what they called an altar of remembrance. So that any time travelers and passers-by, people of Israel would come by and kids would go, 
Hey, dad, what's that? Hey, mom, what's that there for? They'd be able to say, you haven't heard the story? A miracle happened. See, they didn't have modern technology. They didn't have people with snorkel masks that could go into the murky Jordan River and pull these rocks out. So there's no other way but God that they got there. And so they had this remembrance for the people. And what's so sad is that in the days of the judges after Gideon had died, the people didn't remember the Lord. So what I'm telling you today is remembrance is a key ingredient to your breakthrough because you need to remind yourself of all that God has done for you. You are not a victim. You are a victor. Yes, bad stuff's happened to you. And yes, life gets crazy. And sure, some of it's been the enemy. Maybe some of it's been lessons from God himself. Maybe it's been your own stupidity. Regardless, here's the deal. I am a victor in Christ Jesus because I stand knowing that he who holds the stars in his hand, who parted the sea for the Israelites, he's parted the sea for me too, y'all. So I've got to remember when I'm going through something Horrible, terrible, no good, very bad. God, you've done great things for me in the past. I'm convinced you can do it again. Every time we worship, we're encouraged to open up ourselves to God's spirit. And we're encouraging, I want to encourage you to not just blindly sing the song words that come on the screen. But as they come on the screen, begin to think about the song you're singing. Begin to think about the stuff that God brought you through. When I was a baby, I was brought into the hospital, had a very high fever. They were putting me into ice baths periodically to try to drive my temperature down. I had some crazy circumstances in my life. They almost lost me at birth with my mother having me. And so I think about those things and I think to myself, God, if you could do that, you can do this. Amen. Come on, somebody. If God can do that, he can do this. Whatever this is that you're facing, close your eyes with me right now. Holy Spirit, I feel your presence here today. And I just believe that your desire for your people has always been freedom and breakthrough. Father, I'm praying for my own breakthrough in my own life. Lord, and today I pray that as we worship in these next few songs, that you help each one of us reach out to you in proper alignment and worship you and let you set all things right and help us remember these ingredients for breakthrough. In Jesus' name, let's worship the Lord.